Hello, awesome people. Welcome to Embrace the Pivot. I'm Dr. C. Robinson, your host for the show. Join me as we discover what pivoting actually means and how you can embrace your pivot during life's transition. Happy Wednesday, everyone. We are one week closer to 2021. I am so excited, although this New Year is, or New Year's Eve is going to be low key, I am really looking forward to what's in store for 2021. I've been pivoting myself throughout this crazy and hectic year, and I'm positioning myself to really excel at my rebranding of Embrace the Pivot and Ready to Roar. I hope you're excited for how you've positioned yourself up for 2021. Today's guest helps people pivot their communication strategy. Shawnee Godwin is the founder of Joy Economics and calls herself the Chief Joy Officer. I love that. She outlines five proven communication strategies and tips to affordably and and easily help small business owners pivot while protecting their brand and their sanity. She has a really great story and I'm really looking forward to her sharing with you how she's pivoted not only professionally, but also personally. Everyone, please welcome Shawnee to Embrace the Pivot podcast. Cheryl, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. So take us through, um, you do marketing, you have your own company called Communique. Take me through that journey for you as an entrepreneur and starting your company. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's a long story. So I'm going to give you the, the, <laughs> the hopefully abbreviated version. <laughs> All right. 18 years in business. Um, but the story actually starts way before that. As a child, I loved to write. And when I got ready to go to college, I told my mom that I was going to go to Spelman. She's a Spelman graduate. My dad graduated from Morehouse. I was going to follow in her footsteps, major in English and write books. And she said, no, you're not. And oh. just like that, my whole life plan was blown up in smoke. And her message to me wasn't that you can't write. It wasn't that you can't have a book, but she was like, you've got to figure out how to monetize your gifts and your talents. And if you love to write, then let's figure out how you can make money doing that. And so it led me down the path of pursuing a career in advertising with dreams of being an amazing copywriter and um, ended up getting an internship at a big ad agency very early in life when I was in college and they put me in the account management department. And I fell in love with the process of marketing and advertising and communicating. And I got to manage the writing process. And as I advanced in my career and eventually became a client, I always looked for ways to write for my my company so that they wouldn't have to spend money sending it to the agency. And so those were the very early inklings of Communique. Um, in time, I was able to get an MBA in marketing. Um, I ended up getting an undergrad degree from Hampton University, another HBCU, um, instead in advertising. And um, at the ripe old age of 27, had enough of corporate America, was also married at the time, 
wanting to really pursue my passion, which again was writing, but figure out how to monetize that into an entrepreneurial venture that would not just serve me professionally, but allow me to have a life that I could enjoy. I, I couldn't imagine how I could be this fulfilled career professional with only two weeks of vacation to devote back to my family. And so um, I was you know, in a place where I could step away. And at the beginning, at the end rather of 2002, a year after 9-11, was able to uh, pull things together and take the step into entrepreneurship. So we started the company. I started the company um, in uh, October of 2002. And uh, it was a crazy time. The dot-com era had just ended. Everything had busted and people were like, <laughs> what? what just happened? And then, you know, 9-11, we were a year behind that. And people were like, are you crazy? Like, why would you leave this good corporate job? I was working in advertising at Bell South at the time. And I just really believed it was my season um, little did I know we'd have to, you know, pivot and move through the greatest recession at that time, which was 2008, the mortgage crisis, only to find ourselves, you know, at year 17, 18 in the middle of a pandemic. And so um, <laughs> we pivoted a lot, not yeah. to mention personal pivoting. You know, I went through a divorce. My dad died. Just a lot of life has happened over those 18 years. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of an expert at pivoting and reinventing and <laughs> all things how to keep yourself <laughs> when the world is falling around uh, apart around you. So, but we've made it and we're still out here hanging out trying to get through. So you started the company right after 9-11. Yes. Then you went through the recession. Now yes. you're in the pandemic. What yes. did starting the company after 9-11 and you successfully pivoting through the 2008 recession, what has that taught you in order to help you now through the pandemic? Oh my gosh, Cheryl, I love this question. I have not gotten this question all pandemic and it's something I'm pretty passionate about. Um, the probably the biggest thing I've learned through having to navigate through all of these crazy crises in the world is really to be very intentional about what you feed your spirit. And so, again, starting the business after, a year after 9-11, I, I was met with so much negativity and people who, because of their own limited beliefs, couldn't see my vision and they projected their fear onto me. And similarly, mm -hmm. in the crisis, of 2007 and 2008, you know, the news was rampant about disaster and gloom and doom. And it wasn't that those things weren't real, but I have learned over time to really concentrate and to train my thought life and be mindful of what I am feeding myself, who I have in my circle. And I will not allow people to take my focus off of what needs to be done today. So it's a lot of intentional mindfulness practices about being focused on the moment. I have a rule in our business that as long as we have a piece of business, we are in business. And so my, oh, mandate, to my, yeah, my mandate to my team is we got to focus on this work. If you're focused on the work, then the work will be there in the future. If you're focused on the pandemic, if you're focused on going out of business, then your, your actions Will, will, you know, the actions and momentum of your business will follow that. So it's just the old adage of if you believe it, you will achieve it. And we use that a lot as a rally cry for 
believing and achieving for successful things. But if you believe negative things, those things will come to pass too. So um, just uh, just kind of this ability to block out. And, and if that means I got to turn off the news and be, uh, you know, singing and skipping through fields because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's what we have to do. Like if I got to pretend that we're not in a pandemic by not watching the news, then that's what I have to do. But just mindfully blocking out negative energy that will take me off course and shift my attention from the task at hand. And in a pandemic, the task at hand is should be doing the work. Yeah. I love how you said that people were projecting their fear onto yeah. you. And when people first start to pivot they sometimes can get sucked into that white noise that is just in their head or from other people. So how were you able to reframe that for yourself to understand, okay, this isn't my fear. This is their fear. And I shouldn't let that hinder my success. Right. Right. So, um, it's not easy. And I'll be, I'm a very transparent person. I uh, live in therapy, so <laughs> it's become a lot, <laughs> lot easier to identify. Um, but I, I think little simple things like paying attention to your physical reaction to information. So if I'm talking to someone and the energy I, I receive inside physically in my body, if it makes me tense, if it makes me anxious, if it makes me worried after an interaction with a person or after watching a news report or after reading something, I actually tune into the physical reaction and know that that's something that I have to kind of limit or, or, you know, push away for the moment. And so similarly with people projecting, it's actually something as I've gotten older, I've just become very aware of. You can be having a great day and then someone swoops in and you share your idea and they, they just impart some, something they need to say. And then they leave and your whole day is ruined or you're worried or you've, you've now gone off on a path. And so just recognizing that people, people have the ability to deposit and we all have this ability to deposit an imprint on each other. And so I'm very mindful of what I say to people and what I imprint and share with them about their ideas. And I'm also very mindful about when people bring me fear and worry and look gloom. Oh my gosh, are you, are you worried? You know, if, is that my worry or is that, their worry because if they were in my situation, they'd be worried. But as soon as I agree and take on that energy, now I'm off on a path never intended for me. Yeah, I love that. Um, I try the technique where I imagine a mirror up in front of me and whatever they're projecting onto me bounces off the mirror and back at them. Um, yeah. And it's, a, it's the same technique because you can get sucked into this negativity that isn't yours. So I love that. Right, right. I, um, can well, I share a quick story about projection? Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's something I thought about recently. I have a good friend who just um, lived in Byron for um, five years and she's a really good friend from college. And I had booked a trip to go visit her. And um, my cousin, Happen, I happened to mention to her that I was going to Bahrain and she fired off. It had to be at least six articles of terrorist threats and the, what's going on in the region. And it freaked me out so bad. 
I called Delta and I had an hour left before the reservation was going to be locked in and I canceled my trip. Uh And um, my friend was so upset and I just let it completely get in my head. And my friend just returned to the States and I never made it to Bahrain. And now I can see clearly that, you know, my cousin was the one who was afraid and she projected, you know, that fear onto me, but I received it. Right. And in receiving her fear blocked an amazing experience that I could have had if I would have gone mm-hmm. to visit my friend in Bahrain. Right. So um, just little examples. I like to use kind of parallel examples sometimes because um, that's a perfect example of how I let someone else's trajectory disrupt my path. And it blocked an amazing blessing. Right. Right. Well, hopefully it's a lesson learned (laughs) to move forward. Yeah. Where did the joy of economics come about? Sure. Joy economics. So joy economics came about for me um, in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. in 2017. Our company scaled really quickly over the million dollar mark in about Um, four months in the year of 2015. And it was a a milestone that was never a milestone that I was gunning for, but it, it happened. And so philosophically, I, it really shifted my own beliefs about my business and my own abilities and what was possible. But it was also really, really hard on me emotionally. It thrust me into another Um, level of exposure, you know, podcasts, speaking interviews, and, you know, people, people who were on my team, um, you know, in life, some, some got it, some didn't, it just brought a lot with it, a lot of challenges. And so I found myself in the middle of the night in the middle of another growth program, I did several growth programs. And I was doing the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses program. And we were putting together a plan to grow even more. And I was like, you know, I've scaled this business and done this thing that everyone says should be the happiest time of my life. Cause everyone was like, Oh my God, you should be so happy. And I'm miserable. Like I am working 24 seven. I am not sleeping. And now I got to put together a growth plan to grow more. Like what, at what point is enough enough and what would life look like if I set joy as the way that I measure my success versus just pursuing money and growth and economic wealth. And so joy economics is really, it's not an anti-money, <laughs> anti-success platform, but it is uh, <laughs> what I learned from that is in growing so fast, I push, push myself out of my sweet spot, which was the writing again, the speaking, the communicating. And I'm over here now in operations world trying to run a, a million dollar company. And I need to get people on my team who were fulfilled and joyful when they did operations so that I could be doing the things in my company that brought me joy. And so we birthed and trademarked joy economics, creating better ways to live, work and play. It is a, it's a counterintuitive um, business principle that basically challenges the way that we make money in America and corporate America and really champions finding the things that bring you immense joy, aligning those yourself with those things in your business and finding people on to build your team out with people who are fulfilled by the other 
pieces of the business that need to get manned. So instead of me doing operations, let me go find the person who is naturally gifted and joyous because they love spreadsheets and processes and all of that versus me limiting my growth in my own happiness quotient by feeling this pressure to run all and play all the parts of the business. That's interesting. So when you're interviewing to onboard people, are Mm -hmm. there specific questions that you ask them to gauge their level of joy? Absolutely. So when we interview, I just had an interview the other day. One of the first things, you know, people are always going to come in and sell me on their skill set. What I'm much more interested in is what makes you happy at work. What would you do in this company if I didn't have to ask you to do it? Where are you, where would you naturally gravitate if there wasn't a job description? Um, and I want to always find the person who loves the work and, and put people in their right joy center is what we call it in the company. Um, because I know if I can do that, then they're going to return dividends to my company. Um, this, this whole philosophy of joy economics is backed not just by Shawnee's, you know, woo woo spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's backed by like data, three, three stress before the pandemic stress cost companies 360 billion. It was costing us $360 billion a year in corporate losses, just because people were overconnected, overstimulated, burdened, doing work that they hated, always on no breaks. And so the other piece of joy economics is also about balance, right? Like if I can create joy for you in your work day and then give you space to recharge and connect with your family after hours, I'm going to get a better product out of you in my business, which then will hit my bottom line positively. And we will grow off of the sheer energy and volume and momentum of being a happy, happy, well-balanced and well-run organization. So the, the, Payoff is about for every dollar you invest in employee health and wellness, you get about a dollar fifty back in productivity. Yeah, I I one hundred percent agree. And you know, I'm an entrepreneur, and I hit the wall in September mentally, and I'm like, I need a break here. It's just as you said, it's not fun anymore. (laughs) It, It it you're not sleeping. So I I agree. Like you need to have that joy and invest in your well being in order to scale and grow to where you want to go. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And you have to have margin too, right? So it's funny in this pandemic economy, our, we are working, I, I've gotten so much stuff done. It's been great, but I'm like, my house is my office now. So I've got to be intentional about creating boundaries within the home boundaries and margin within my new life in a pandemic so that I don't stay on the hamster wheel too long. Yeah. I also find it's very easy to work now till 11, 12 o'clock at night because you're just home. Like you said, you're just home. So you have to create those boundaries. Yeah. With that, how has your leadership style evolved over the years and specifically within the pandemic? So my leadership style has grown and evolved a lot. I think the pandemic has taught me more than anything that I'm a really good leader. And it's not that I didn't believe that 
I just know it now because I can see how I've been able to lead through the pandemic. And it's something that I've become very proud of. I think by being very intentional and, you know, there, there are points in this year that I didn't know and I didn't have the answers. And I was very transparent with my team on, you know, what, what I had within my ability and what we were going to just have to move in faith on. But um, the pandemic, more than anything, has taught me that I'm a good leader and that my instincts are good because this has been a year where I, I couldn't think my way through a lot of this. I had to trust my instincts. I had to, yes, lean on the foundational principles that got us to where we are. But a lot of pandemic management is gut level trusting the process and these kind of mindful day-to-day -day steps not knowing on any given day what 2020 is going to serve up at us <laughs> forced me to be very in the moment. And in, in doing that, it released a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of stuff that I carried with me before as a leader. And I realized that, you know, I, there is a higher power at work on my behalf and that I, I don't have to, to play all the parts and, that there is great work that can be done in community and that you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to focus on the work at hand. And so that movement from day to day this year has been really helpful um, because, you know, I couldn't see in March when we lost 85% of our business, I didn't even know if we'd be around in November. So how could I plan for November? Cause I didn't know how we were going to even get to November. Um, so it's just taught me a lot about presence, just being very present in the moment and doing the best with things that I can control. So you just mentioned that you lost a lot of your work for mm -hmm. the pandemic. How were you able to remain in a positive mindset instead of just throwing your hands up saying, well, it's over to actually <laughs> continuing <laughs> to move forward? So I cried uh, the day it happened. I It was a weird cry of relief um, because I think I've been holding a lot of the business up on mentally on my, my own, whether the team needed me to or not. That was a pressure I was putting on myself. We also had a lot of our business in one main account. So when that account canceled projects, it impacted us heavily. And, and that is never a good place to be in, even outside of a pandemic. So I think the relief was like, okay, this was bound to happen. It's happened. I can breathe. But then it, you're also like, oh my God, my baby's crumbling. <laughs> so I, I cried. I allowed myself to feel the feelings and I went to bed. And the next day I woke up and I asked myself, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to fold? You've had 17 at that point, 17 year run and nothing in me, Cheryl wanted to quit. And again, I tuned in with myself and on the inside, my knower was peaceful and it was a beautiful sunrise coming up that morning. I looked out the window and I was like, we're going to keep going. And we decided we pulled our team together. We did a shipwreck presentation and we said, we're going to weather the storm. And then from there, we started moving forward toward the PPP loan and took it one step at a time. And it's been an amazing journey journey. So I had a moment where I could quit and that wasn't the answer. That wasn't the right answer for me. So at the moment you resolve, you're not going to quit. Then you get up and you fight and you do the work. If you could go back 
to your younger self, let's say 18, 19 and 20 year old self, mm-hmm. what is one piece of advice you would give her? I think about this question a lot because I so want to go back and tell her a whole lot of stuff. She should <laughs> I would tell her to relax and have way more fun just and to just trust the process. Um, I was definitely, I still am a reforming type A, but I was super type A, super driven, super, very, very serious for that age. And I wish I knew then what I knew now that you don't have to control. Like we think we're in control. We're never in control. It's just an illusion and things have a way of working themselves out. So there's power in just trusting the process. And if I knew that back then I wouldn't have worked so hard to control and in not controlling, I would have really enjoyed experiences more and in, in been able to find joy even in the midst of difficulty because um, even in hardship there's still moments happening and again it's about where we choose to focus what is on the horizon for joy economics so um we are planning some big things for joy economics we're going to be having our first joy economics summit next year. So I'm really excited about that. We're just about to announce it. So I think it's safe to, you, you oh, heard congratulations. it. Congratulations. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, so that's going to be in the first part of next year. And then we started an initiative. One of the ways that we pivoted when we lost a lot of the corporate work, we were like, Hey guys, we love to market. We love, um, you know, what we do and small businesses need us right now. So we created a small business communications and coaching program for small businesses that need high touch, affordable marketing help and a marketing partner who will hold their hand, help them vet their ideas, create their brand stories, you know, create their marketing assets. And so we have had um, success with that. We're on a mission to save 5,000 American small businesses. And so that work will continue. And then um, hopefully as the economy makes the turn and corporate marketers start putting marketing budgets back <laughs> together, we'll be getting those phone calls too. But we're really excited. The, the pandemic actually opened up new lines of revenue. So we're coming out of the pandemic with the balanced portfolio that we needed going into the pandemic, oddly enough. So again, trust the process. Yeah. Congratulations. And how can I get an invite to the summit? That sounds incredible. We will make sure that you get an invite to the summit. (laughs) Um, You you can go on our website and follow us on social media um, at Communicate USA on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, Our website is Communicate, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-Q-U-E hyphen usa.com. And you can also check out my podcast. We'll be talking about um, that uh, conference and event. And uh, we spread a lot of joy and talk about pivoting and share stories of people who um, are doing great things using the currency of joy on our podcast, Joy Economics, Creating Better Ways to Live, Work, and Play. Yeah, very cool. So if someone came to you stating that they were about to pivot in their career, what would be three essential steps you would share to help make that pivot successful? First thing I would do is to have them take a self 
inventory of what are the things that they're naturally gifted at. And it can be hard to see sometimes because these are the things we do effortlessly. And it's good. This is one of the areas where I say it is good to listen to people around you. That thing that you do that people are always asking you to do or saying you should do more of that you're dismissing is probably something that is innately a talent and gift and you don't see it because it's organically, naturally who you are. And so identifying what those gifts are, are clues to where and how you can pivot in a way that is very honoring. And when you we honor ourselves by putting ourselves in our lane, in our sweet spot, in our God-given assignment, then the money flows because we do it in a very different way than, than people who aren't gifted that way. So that would be my first thing. The second thing I would say is take an assessment of all the things at your disposal. So again, not looking at what you lost or you're walking away from, but looking at what are the tools in your toolbox. Like if you were on a ship and the ship shipwrecked onto a deserted island, you wouldn't get off the ship and start spending all the attention looking at the wreckage of the ship. You'd go into survival mode. You'd be like, who has the first aid kit? Who has the tourniquets? Where is the coconut? Where, who can make fire? And so where and how can you make fire? What, what are the tools and the gifts and the resources and the connections that you have already at your disposal? And then you want to map those gifts and talents over to those resources. And then the third piece is to just take a step. And so, um, so much of um, success is about, again, the process and the journey unfolding before your eyes. And we get very stuck and paralyzed because we think we're supposed to go from here to there and know all the steps in between. And I've learned the most this year about just doing something. Because when mm-hmm. you do something, another step unfolds in front of you and you'll never see that step if you don't take the first one. So I like to reframe failure for people. Like as long as you're moving and tweaking and adjusting, even when you're falling down, you're getting back up and going in a different direction. You're really always winning. And we let the fear that we won't get it right the first time stop us. So just know if you're moving, if you're taking steps, you're, you're going to win. And uh, if you don't give up, then you're going you're gonna to stay and you'll find yourself in a better place at the right time. Yeah, 100%. My motto is do at least one thing a day to better yourself. And that's all it takes. Just keep on moving. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Cheryl. Have a great day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Embrace the Pivot. And thank you so much for being with me all these weeks during 2020. It's been one heck of a year and I just really appreciate all of your support throughout these months. I'm really looking forward to being back with you on January 6th. Next week, there will be no podcast. So I want to wish all of you a happy, happy, happy new year. Here's to an awesome start to 2021. And again, if you want to reach out, you can reach me at robinson at embracethepivot.org or you can find me on Instagram at embracethepivot. Have a wonderful holiday. I wish you all the best. And here's to 2021. 
You can follow me, Dr. C, on Instagram at Embrace the Pivot. I hope all of you embrace your pivot.